Hello, 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 and welcome to Coffee and Crime. I am your host, Jack, and welcome to the podcast. So, the, I'm gonna, the basics of the podcast is I'm going to sit down, talk about true crime every week with a coffee. So grab your coffee and listen to the crime. Today's coffee is an ice white mocha, um, one of the best drinks ever, because it's just the best. Starbucks, unreal. If you want to try this drink, go to Starbucks and order an ice white mocha with vanilla sweet cream cauliflower. And if you like caramel, you can ask for extra caramel drizzle, but I don't like caramel, so I don't do that. But we, we recently got a coffee machine, and I'm loving it, so I'm making them at home, so I'm really happy. So, but if you have a coffee machine at home and you want to make this drink, this is how you make it. Get espresso pods, then do... A single or a double shot. See, I'm only doing single shots because even in, Star- like in Starbucks they do double shots. It's nice, but I just like it with a single shot of espresso. So, single shot of espresso. Get condensed milk sauce. The, like the Nestle carnations. And pour a little bit into that. Then get your double espresso sh- shot. Or your single espresso. Just get your espresso. Dump it in. Store it around to dissolve the... Starb- the Starbucks <laughs> to dissolve the milk uh, no not to dissolve the milk to dissolve the white chocolate sauce or condensed milk sauce the condensed milk sauce or just condensed milk in general tastes like Starbucks so you can't go wrong with that Um, and then to dissolve that then just fill up your milk and then add a bit of ice and then pop your uncle maybe your aunt it's actually the best but for the first case of the podcast we're going to be st- Staying local to Ireland, and we're going to be doing an Irish case. Today, we're going to be on the case of the Scissor Sisters. But before we get into that, I just want to put a little disclaimer that I mean no disrespect to anybody I mentioned in this case. Um, and also, I want to put a little bit of trigger warning. This does mention sexual assault, um, murder, and the details of the murder are quite graphic. But I'll put another warning just before we get into all the graphic stuff later on in the case. Hope you enjoy. But if you can't listen to any of that, I'm sure there'll be more cases in the future that will be more suited for you. I feel like Eleanor nailed there. But um, right. So let's get into the case. So Linda and Charlotte Mulhall were born in Dublin, in Ireland, and they were born to parents John and Kathleen Mulhall, and they had three brothers, and then there was three of the girls. So three boys, three kids six kids um linda was 30 years old at the time of the killing now for all of linda's life she was never she never worked a day in her life she was on like the social welfare and she left school early and had four kids the relationship with the father of the kids broke up after a while and then she got into a relationship with a man called wayne kinsley who sadly abused our kids as well um in one case, beating them with an electrical flex. The abuse was later investigated and the kids were taken into care by social services. And Wayne served a seven-year prison sentence for the cruelty of his kids. Uh, Linda had a history of alcohol abuse and suffered from an addiction to heroin. She had a previous conviction in 1993 for alacrancy. Alacrancy, however you say that. But Linda would know, Linda knew that our kids were being abused and didn't really do anything about it. She just sat back and watched. But one day, um, 
I think this was actually during an argument. She just to piss Wayne off, she went and reported him to the guards, which got him locked up, and obviously their relationship fell apart around then. But um, another thing I actually noticed while I was researching this case, um, Wayne Kinsella actually had a history of violence. Um, he used to always get into fights in school. He used to fight his parents, and he actually broke his sister's jaw, and fought his parents and he killed someone i can't remember if it was before or after um this all happened but that's kind of like mad to think about like if that never happened would have linda gotten involved in the killing because obviously as we all know linda was had a history of alcohol abuse and drug abuse so she when our kids got taken off her that kind of like encouraged her to get clean to try and get her kids back off social services so up until this killing linda was clean linda was she wasn't um she wasn't she was on track to get her kids back and yeah it's kind of sad to see how this all went down now let's talk about charlotte charlotte was 21 when the killing took place like her sister she had a history of drug and alcohol abuse she also had like a few minor convictions for like criminal damage and public order offences and was charged with criminal damage and sentenced under the probation act she was also involved in prostitution so um and the guards actually described um the, the girl's upbringing as quote troubled and tough so they obviously you can kind of tell they didn't have the best upbringing now let's talk about Kathleen Kathleen um was obviously in a relationship with John the father and he allegedly abused Kathleen during their 29 years of marriage their marriage broke down and then Kathleen entered into a relationship with Farah Swally Noor in 2002 Noor also allegedly abused Kathleen now Farah Swally Noor keep that name in mind because that's important later on actually now it's important because we're going to talk about him next but um now this isn't it hasn't been confirmed but i've seen in different sources that um linda not linda that kathleen actually met farah while she was still in in the marriage with um john that they she moved they moved into in together and John was just like, no, I'm not living here with you and your new boyfriend. And then moved out and took the kids with them. I probably sound real story and stuff, but like, it's just because it's the first podcast. I, I promise this will hopefully stop when we get more into it. Um, but keep John, keep John Mulhall in mind. Because he will come in back into it later on in the case. So... Now we've talked about Charlotte, Linda and Kathleen. And now let's talk about the victim, Farah. So Farah was 40 when he was killed. He, When he arrived in Ireland, he arrived in 1996. He claimed to be a Somali called Sheila Salim, whose family were killed in the Madagascar during the Civil War. But investigations revealed that he wasn't a Somali, that he was Kenyan and that his family was still alive. He was ordered to be deported, but he was granted Irish citizenship in March of 1999 because he'd become a father of an Irish-born child. And Farah actually had 
previous convictions, um, including intoxication, um, threatening and abusive behaviour, assault, salute you, Mr Magpie, sorry there was a magpie outside my window, um, don't want to get bad luck, you know, um, where was I, sorry, I just got distracted, um, his convictions, he was charged with, uh, he had four previous convictions for offences including intoxication, threaten, threatening and abusive behaviour and assault and in 1997 he raped a 16 year old mentally disabled Chinese girl and she later gave birth to a son. Two other women had claimed by him and both described being raped by him. They also had kids for him. Um, then Farah had faced eight charges of disorder and assault, one including a sexual assault where a knife was actually found at the scene. And he never served time in prison. He's also known to have... Before we moved in with Kathleen, Gardy described him as being particularly violent towards women. So, now, I want you... I know I keep saying this, but I want you to remember, t- keep in mind about the Chinese girl. Because she, ki- she comes into it later on. Again. Kind of. So, on the day of the killing, the killing was the day before... Charlotte's birthday on the twentieth of March two thousand and five. Um, this was the day before Charlotte's twenty second birthday, and she it was also Paddy's day weekend. So she was like, "Yeah, let's start off the celebrations a day early." So Charlotte said it to Linda and was like, "Come on, let's go in and we'll go into the we'll go into town and we'll get locked." Um, and Linda initially said no because she was supposed she was getting her life back on track and. She wanted. She was actually supposed to be going to see her son that day, but Charlotte knew that Linda had a history of drug abuse and was trying to get her life back on track. So she knew it wouldn't be that hard to convince her, and it wasn't. So she ended up convincing her, and then Linda ended up cancelling her son. That cancelling going to see her son that day, and they so they text Kathleen, and then they they text her and asked come on do you want to go in for a drink with us um, and it turns out her and Farrah were already in town that day and they'd been drinking the, the the last couple of days because it was Paddy's Day weekend so everybody was you know celebrating and ew, getting locked so, so it turns out they'd actually been drinking the past couple of days so they were quite they were quite drunk um, so they were there in town on the boardwalk and that sounds weird but that's just how it's written down here um on the boardwalk and they were drinking vodka and coke they actually went because they couldn't really afford to go into a pub or anything because remember they were all on the social welfare so they went into spare bar uh, a big bottle of vodka and little bottles of coke and they started drinking they were drinking all day and then charlotte took out a bag of ecstasy tablets and was just like come on do you want to take this and normally if you if you are a parent and you're saying a kid's taking a you, you wouldn't really be happy but Kathleen wasn't really a normal ma so she joined in took an a they didn't give any to Farah because they knew when he took drugs he was very violent and they knew that he was violent already um and actually something i forgot to mention earlier there was uh, allegedly one time where Kathleen was on the phone to one of Farrah's exes and he said to her that you need to get out of there um, and it's, he's going to kill you by the end of the year 
he, he won't change. He will try and kill you. But then she just brushed it off, and like, no, psycho X. But then they they knew they didn't they didn't give him any aid because they knew when he took drugs he was very violent. When he took when he was drinking he was violent as well. But he wasn't too violent at this point. So they were like, no, we're just not going to give him any aid. And they it was it was getting dark and. Farrah throughout the day had started to get a bit agitated and a bit angry and he was known to get that way when he was drunk um, and he was starting arguments with Kathleen and just make, making a show of him so they were like stop making a show of us you, you dope um, and then they, so they just decided to go back to the, go back to Kathleen's flat and continued the night there but on the way back to the apartment, Farah actually saw if a Chinese boy that was around five, and obviously, as I mentioned back before, he raped a Chinese girl, and he knew he had a Chinese son, but it was never confirmed if this child was his. But he, Farah knew that he had a Chinese son, and he was starting to get real like. Like, oh, my son, my son, getting real emotional, hugging the child, just causing an absolute scene. The mother wasn't, the mother was terrified, the child was terrified. Kathleen was starting to get embarrassed and agitated because he was making a, sh- a scene in the middle of town. So, he, they, he, she, like, was like, no, stop, come on, come on home now. Hold on, let me just get another sip of my drink. So, now. They get back to the apartment, which was in Richmond Cottages. And according to Linda's police statement, it was the first time her and Charlotte had actually been there. Um, and they got back and it was someone, I think it was Charlotte, put on a Champagne album. And they went into the kitchen to make drinks. And Kathleen actually crushed up an A tablet and put it into Farrah's drink so they could, quote, be all on the same bus. So now we're up to the death of Farrah. So Linda and Farrah were sitting on a two-seater sofa when, with Charlotte sitting on the arm of the chair and Farrah started to get real touchy with Linda. Uh, he actually started whispering stuff in her ear and look, Linda says she doesn't remember what he said at the start but he, she remembers hearing something along the lines of we're two creatures in the night and then she was he wouldn't let her go she wanted to let go he had her arm around her waist and uh, whispered something in her ear that, like yeah just like yeah mommy and obviously Linda was starting to get real uncomfortable and she actually said in her police statement that it caused her to shiver and he got she got up and he he still had a, had a hold of her and he was trying to drag her to the bedroom which was clear what was going to happen um, and she actually shouted at her ma, he'd sleep with your daughter as quick as he'd look at you. Um, and then Kathleen managed to get Farrah off Linda and um, then the argument took place where um, he started to attack her and while he was attacking her um, it registered what, her, what, is, what his ex had said a couple of weeks before that, that he's never going to change and that he will end up killing you and now, I don't know how true this next part is, but apparently he he said, quote, I will, I'm going to kill you before this year is out. Um, and as I said, I don't know how true that is, but just 
as whatever I just take that bit with a pinch of salt because it's, it hasn't been denied or confirmed but then as he was attacking Kathleen Kathleen allegedly screamed quote just kill him for me um so then Charlotte picked up a Stanley blade and slit Farrah across the throat uh, and apparently it was a four inch deep cut on his throat um, and the slit his throat which caused him to hit the ground and then Linda picked up a hammer that was nearby and hit him on the head with great force a number of times and then they dragged him into the bedroom into the master bedroom and then they just started killing him um, Linda still um, hitting him on the head with the hammer and Charlotte stabbing him Charlotte stabbed him in total of 27 times and Charlotte had stabbed him so many times that he had a punctured lung he also had a punctured lung, his punctured stomach and liver and his ki- one of his kidneys was completely severed so it's pretty clear that they showed him no mercy and you can understand because they were running on drugs, ecstasy and adrenaline and they just they were making sure that he was dead. Like they obviously in this moment they didn't know what was happening because they were just so filled with adrenaline, a and also alcohol. Like and also apparently while all this was happening in the bedroom, Kathleen was sitting outside on the sofa drinking vodka and coke while watching the telly so like I, I just think that's kind of mad like while our daughters are killing our boyfriend she's just sitting inside watching the telly um and like they were there hitting and stabbing hitting and stabbing for so long until they knew that he was fully dead and when they had stopped and realised what had happened they just started crying they hugged each other and started crying at realising what they'd done and then they they just did they went out held hands went out to their ma and told them what had happened and then the ma realised oh shit so they they had to cut him up Um, and now this is where it's going to get graphic so it, it already is quite graphic before now but it's about to get real graphic now so um Linda sorry, Linda was not taking this well. Um so Charlotte went into the kitchen, grabbed a nine inch bread knife and it she had the Stanley blade. So she had a, a knife that wasn't what that was blunt, a nine inch blunt bread knife and a a Stanley blade. So not really the best thing to work with. Um, so Linda was, was apparently sitting on the toilet screaming crying because she was like as anyone would be in that situation um, but so they, they started they started to cut him up so um, Charlotte cut right below his knee with the Stanley blade and the bread knife and when they got to it was starting to cut through like this is getting real graphic now I'm sorry but they started to cut through his knee and to all the tissue and then when they get got to the bone they grabbed the hammer smashed the bone and the kneecap to be able to take his leg off so they cut right before his knee then they cut up at his hip to take off his, the top, other bit of his leg 
and they did that for both legs so his legs were in four pieces and they threw all of it into the bat which i know very like gruesome and they were it was just a blood bath like they were covered absolutely covered in blood um and like you can only imagine what it was like and uh, apparently they took off like they took breaks during the um during it like every couple of hours not every couple of hours this all in total took five hours to do to cut off everything and they took breaks where they'd just go in sit on the toilet and just bread or they'd go out and have a smoke like that was something that they said they did like they'd go out and have a smoke to calm them calm themselves down um and then linda actually remembered something that kathleen had told her that ferret had raped her before and so she took down she took off his jeans pulled down his, his underwear cut off his cut his penis off and said quote now they'll never rape my ma again so yeah it was pretty pretty heavy shit they cut for his arm like i always like i always thought that was like they just cut his whole arm off like from his, his like his shoulder but now they actually cut his arm off just be, they cut they started to cut off just before his elbow they would obviously they cut down smash the bone right before his elbow and then took the rest of it off with doing the same thing like under his arm hitting the shoulder um so then now right this this next part is getting is going to be very graphic so if you have a weak stomach i wouldn't listen i'd probably click off now because i'm even struggling to read this and i don't have a weak stomach but um apparently the head was the hardest part to cut off they um actually the the stanley blade and the bread knife was useful to cut down through his tissue and the nerves and the veins uh but when they got to the spine they smashed his spine um with with the hammer broke the bone and then took his head off like just imagining that is fucking like what i'm sorry but like i'm I'm just imagining his head coming off is just the thought of that is traumatizing and i can only imagine how what it was like for them to actually experience um and it was just all in all it took them five hours in total to to do everything to dismember them five hours in total it took them i need a sip of coffee after that um but anyway so they, so they they done that as i said they took breaks they'd go out have a smoke um or they'd sit on the toilet and just take a breather because obviously it would be it would be hard on them because that well they're after killing somebody but um so now they actually they they didn't know what to do with the body and it hasn't been confirmed where the more where the more that took place whether that be the bathroom or the this uh the bedroom but um it's believed to have taken place in the bedroom but so they were after killing Farrah 
and they put his body into the bin bags and then they they started to bleach the whole apartment they cleaned it like back to back um with bleach they bleached it so well that the police actually said that you wouldn't think it was a crime scene you like you genuinely wouldn't it was so well scrubbed um and so well bleached and then the next day they they didn't know where to put they didn't know where to put his body so they they planned to put his body in the bins and just ha- hope the bin men collect him but the bins weren't being collected for a week because of the bank holiday um they weren't being collected so what they decided to do is they decided to throw the body in the canal um under the Ballybock bridge so they were walking to the they were walking to the canal the next morning with the gym bags and this was around seven or eight that next morning and the the most scary part about this is that they were walking past so they were walking past so many unsuspecting people people who just looked at them and thought oh they must be going to the gym like they just they, they looked so normal people wouldn't have thought that they had like dismembered body parts in the bag like nobody would have thought that um but they did they had like cut up body parts in the they just looked like they were going to the gym like as most people do but now they were actually going to throw body parts into the canal um so then they threw the body in and it took several trips for them to actually throw um for them to actually get rid of everything so they got rid of the rest of his body now he still had his head and his willy and but like the, the thing is they the head and the willy have never been located even to this day they still haven't been found um because they knew that they couldn't throw the head into the canal with them because his dental records uh he could be identified through um and so they were they had to find somewhere else to do it so they put the head in a bag um into the son's skill bag um and they now this this next part is just it's just so mad they walked through they got a bus up to Tallah and they walked through the square shopping center to sean walsh memorial park um they, then they 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 apparently had an argument in the park about where they were going to put it they about throwing it into a pond or burying it and then they actually like Kathleen dropped to her knees and apparently started digging a hole with her bare hands under a bench and then they put it in but they didn't really like do it that deep because there was still like a bit of there was a like l- lump of like muck that they didn't flatten out and they didn't really care that that looked weird they just left it there so then they left the head there and then they threw the not the murder weapons into a pond in the park and apparently a couple of days later linda went back to the park dug up the head and put it into a skill bag and then buried it somewhere else and now linda was not like sleeping well at all she wasn't coping with this she was so so like she wasn't she wasn't dealing with a great she was um you she was like back bit like drink abusing alcohol again and she 
was apparently so drunk that she was actually talking to the head as she buried it, saying stuff like, I'm so sorry, it should have been me ma and not you. But nobody knows where it's been buried. Like, everybody's just, it's, nobody knows. The only person who knows that is Linda, and Linda hasn't, won't say anything about where it is. Probably, I don't know if that's because she doesn't remember where she put it, or she doesn't want to, to tell people. But his head and his penis have never been found, and I don't think they ever will be. It's also classed as the final secret of the Scissor Sisters by... Uh, Cormac Lumi, uh, who, uh, by the, he was from the Evening Herald. So now we're up to after the murder. They murdered him. They hit his body, and they thought they were all in the clear until ten days later, on the shortage of March two thousand and five, when what people that were walking past saw something floating in the canal, um, with a sock attached to it, and they just thought it was a mannequin. But then when they actually looked closer, they noticed that it was a leg, a dismembered leg. So they obviously reported it to the police. Um this was a couple of a couple of uh mile a couple of hundred yards from the crow from Crow Park. So the, the guards came, they got so back with divers and they retrieved most of his body in seven parts. Um they actually cut his whole body into nine parts. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier on, including his head and his willy. Gardy traced his identity through media appeals and it took them like a couple, I think it was like two weeks or like a, a month maybe for him to be identified. Um, When they, when we, when he was identified by a Somali man um, who actually got a big payout, payout by Crime Stoppers. Because the Crime Stoppers were offering like 10 grand for people to identify identify the body but actually for a couple of for a couple of days or not for a couple of weeks actually until they identify no actually i'm getting this i'm saying this all arseface but at first they thought that it was a white person because the leg was all white but this was something that to do some scientific reason due to the water for being in the water for so long and then the sun it just washed all the pigmentation out of his leg and the rest of his body except for his short except for like under his clothes like his top because the top hadn't been taken off him so they so he was actually so then they realized that now he's actually it's actually a black man so then they put out in a pail and then it was only a couple of weeks after every all of this where a somali man um identified um helped identify the man who obviously helped identify the body why am i so stupid today they they actually needed a doctor to identify not identify to declare the body dead which never knew that until i found out in the in when i was doing my research but the police didn't know where to start because there was no head and no genitals on the body, they the police actually thought it was a ritual killing, um, because it was similar to a murder that happened in London in two thousand and one, that actually was a ritual killing, called the Torso on the Thames, and if you want me to do a podcast on that case, let me know and I might. But. But the Torso of the Thames was actually an, an, an unidentified nine-year-old African boy with no head 
and it was found in the Thames in London. And I don't know if it's actually been if it's ever been identified if he has. Um but like it's just that sad that like that I don't know if he actually has been he was actually named Adam by police officers. Don't know why, gonna have to look into that after this. But the police actually were going to ident were going to contact African police to find out more about ritual killings. But before they could, his body was identified by a Somali man who claimed to have who recognised him from his the clothes that the police put up on the posters on the Crime Stoppers posters. Um, he had recognised him from the day that he went missing, and he said that he he was with his girlfriend Kathleen at her two daughters so that's when they started to sniff around um Kathleen and fi- try and find out all about her and her if she had any involvement in it and um how they actually identified that was him was they looked him up on the database and found that he had a son so he, they went to the mother of the son took a swab of her, asked for a swab of her DNA, asked for a swab of the son's DNA and then they ran it through a database and it came back that the, the son had half of the mother's DNA and half of the father's DNA so that was confirmed to them that it was uh, Farris Wally Noor. So then they went and obviously investigated uh, Kathleen Mulhall because she was same with him on the day that he died. But during all of this, Kathleen visited her two sons, uh, I mentioned that at the start, she had three kids, John and James, in prison. And she actually told them about what happened that day. And obviously, they kept, they, they did keep it to themselves. Um, and cause they, it was just like, it was their sisters. Um, but then they found out that the police were sniffing around Kathleen uh, and that Linda and Charlotte, they weren't doing nothing. They were just letting them uh, take the blame for this murder that she didn't actually commit. That was them who committed to save her life. So then John and James, they were just like, no, that's not on. That's like, what What the fuck are they doing? So they went and they, they told everything. John and James went to the police and told them everything about what had happened. Um... And then, so they went to the apartment in Richmond Cottages, and when they went, there was already, this was around August, so this was summer 2005, they went and searched the apartment, and there was actually two, um, there was actually two tenants that had moved in, in the space, because Kathleen had moved to a new apartment, um, and but as soon as they went in, they noticed a big chunk of carpet missing, and then they thought, "No, that's a bit, that's a bit weird. There's something definitely going on here." So then they think to themselves, "Okay, they so they bring in forensic teams, and you know that little like uh, substance that they use that when they shine it under a blue light, it shows if there's blood splatters." Well, they used that and found that there was blood splatters all over the bathroom. So the police were immediately like, no, there's something something wrong here. But something that I actually forgot to mention is that during the recovery of Farrah's body, you could see on the nails, nails that day, there was two women 
uh, standing on Ballybock Bridge, looking down into the river, saying what was happening. And at the time, of what people thought were just two innocent bystanders looking down, shocked at what had happened. Now, it was actually later revealed that it was actually Kathleen and Charlie, because they'd actually take regular walks to make sure nothing had floated to the top or anything. But now let's move back to Linda. So let me just take a sub of coffee first. Linda was not coping. Genuinely, she was not coping at all. She was back on drugs. She was back uh, drinking alcohol. She was self-harming. She actually also tried to commit suicide. She was just, she, was, she wasn't coping. Now, I don't know how true this is, again, take it with a pinch of salt but apparently according to a source linda was actually encouraged by our dad to go and speak to the police but linda's uh dad john had always denied knowing or having any involvement well not denying knowing but he's denied having involvement in the murder um but he encouraged her to go speak to the police allegedly according to the source as I said, it's not been confirmed or denied. But she went and spoke to the police uh, about what had happened that night. And according to police, after Linda spoke to them, she looked like she had such a weight off her shoulders. Like, she looked so relieved. She looked like she could actually, like, breathe again. So it was clearly weighing down on her heart, as it would to anyone, really. Um, But... So after she told the police, obviously her and Charlotte were arrested and um, they couldn't actually arrest um, Kathleen because Kathleen actually fled the country. She fled to England to avoid being prosecuted. So so now up to the court case. So the trial for Linda and Charlotte, Linda and Charlotte were both charged with murder and they, but they pleaded not guilty. Um, that trial was in October of 2006 and Linda was found guilty of manslaughter uh, while Charlotte was found guilty of murder. The reason why Linda actually only got manslaughter was because the jury said that she was she would have been provoked so she was in a mindset of not obviously not intention, intending to do it but she was provoked so it was just it was self-defense basically is what the jury said. Now, whatever your opinions are, whether she deserved to get charged with manslaughter or murder, that's up to you. But Charlotte was given the mandatory life sentence and Linda was given a 15-year sentence for manslaughter. And the judge actually argued that Linda tried to stop the trial by refusing to take methadone because she was addicted to heroin at around the time. Um, but lived appeal was refused for both sentences. Um, but Linda didn't actually serve... 15 years she ended up saving 12 years um and linda actually tried to appeal our sentence so many times by trying to say that they didn't do a, a psychiatric report on her um so but that was just didn't that was the courts said that the sentence was appropriate um charlotte tried to appeal her conviction as well because she tried to say that the justice had put pressure on the jury to reach a verdict but failed because the grounds that the defence didn't raise objections to comments during the trial and the fact that the jury was not affected by any alleged pressure to reach a verdict so they that obviously was 
failed. But then the court case against Kathleen. Kathleen voluntarily returned to Ireland in 2008 and along with many other offences was charged with two counts of giving false information to the guards about Farrah's whereabouts. Uh, withholding information which she quote knew or believed would be assistance in prosecuting her daughters for Farrah's murder. She was also charged with impeding an arrest in the murder investigation. She pleaded guilty to helping up Okay, I'm just I'm sorry, that just popped into my head because of a police siren going by. I don't know why, but me I think anyway. ADHD things <laughs> but she pleaded guilty to helping up clean the crime scene to conceal evidence. She was sentenced to five years in prison in May 2005 and both Linda and Kathleen are out now. To Justice, Justice Carney actually said uh, during the trial that it was quote the most grotesque killing that I've ever occurred in my professional lifetime. Um, and back to what I said at the start, Farrah's head was never recovered. But then later on, Linda admitted that he had put the head in rubbish bins around the Phoenix Park. Um, but it's it's, just, it's never been found, so we can't like verify that. Um, but Linda and Charlie caused there was a few controversies while they were in prison. I don't know if this one will be a controversy, but um, Linda tried to commit suicide in prison. And she was sectioned, who spent a week in a psychiatric hospital. But Charlotte caused an even bigger controversy when a photo was leaked to the press of her holding the knife to another prisoner's throat and um, leaked out to the media, which actually caused all of security in every Irish prison to be like made more secure. And then Charlotte was moved from Mountjoy to Limerick Prison. And then, obviously, as I said, Kathleen sp- um, spent five years in prison. And at the start, I said to keep Linda's and Charlotte's dad, John, in mind. He actually committed suicide in um, December of 2005 because he just couldn't deal with all the everything about his daughters coming out. And he actually wrote uh, a suicide note on the back of a 50 euro note and hung himself in the Phoenix Park. But... I've seen loads of sources, well not loads of, I've seen a few sources say that he was involved but he didn't kill, he didn't kill Farrah, he just helped with the clean up. But this has never been confirmed or denied so it's not not like, we don't know if it's true or not, this is just, it's speculation. I've seen a few articles say, say it and a few people say it but we don't know, he could have been involved, he might have not have been. If, like, in one article I seen that, it, they just said that Linda text, uh, that dad saying, come over to me ma's flat, we need your help. And he went and helped clean up. As I said, we don't know, that's just all speculation. But, also, actually, one last thing I have to say, um, they both had relationships with prison guards in, while they were in prison. Charlotte, well, Charlotte's one was only more recent, where it came out in, like, 2019 2020 so she had one and then linda had one in prison as well they both had a relationship with prison guards so there's something for you um but in 2013 or 2012 charlotte actually wrote a letter in prison 
saying that she's sorry for all of this, what she's done. She's she regrets doing the killing, that she still has nightmares, and she's saying that she fears she'll never get out because she she genuinely doesn't know where the head is. Only Linda knows that. Again, you can believe, you can choose to believe that if you want. But that is everything for the first episode of Coffee and Crime. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And we will be back next week for more Coffee and Crime. So, I don't know what case I'm going to be covering yet. Because I'm obviously we're still doing this. But I'll figure it out during the week. And I'll try. You'll see it next week. So, yeah. Thanks for listening. And I will see you all later. Bye.